We're going to read Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 48. If you have your Bible or on your device, you want to follow along, uh, I will read this aloud for us. Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness to that everyone who believes and in him and receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but first thing I want to say is that in order to grasp where this passage falls in the scheme of things, remember Luke's introductory chapter in Acts 1, where he explains to Theophilus how Jesus told the apostles and the other disciples to tell about him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the world. He laid out for us the very structure of this book of Acts. We, you know, he was writing a letter, so he's basically doing good journalism. He's, Luke is saying, here's what I'm going to tell you about, and here's how I'm going to break it down. So he makes his thesis statement, basically, and then proceeds to work through it. And we've already heard then of how the proclamation about Jesus started in Jerusalem and how it grew in Jerusalem and started to spread around. And now we hear that in this story, the Gentiles are receiving the good news of Jesus. Now, the passage that I just read to you, I I was trying to be a little bit conservative with the scripture reading. It would have been great to read the entire chapter to you because basically what has happened is, is Peter was busy moving away from Jerusalem out into the Judean countryside, preaching about Jesus, teaching about Jesus, and demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And and Peter has, by the time this story takes place, has already pushed his personal boundaries considerably because he stayed at the time that this story occurs, he was staying with Simon the Tanner. So basically he was staying in the house of an unclean Jew a Jew whose job it was to, uh, you know, strip the, the skins from animals and then create 
the various leather products and things like that that everyone needed. But you know, the way the Jewish system of of uh, of uh, biblical interpretation, the Jewish laws of, of Moses and so forth, the the, the uh, idea that someone would do such an unclean task was sort of you know, a balancing act. They would let him do this and encourage him to do this because they needed the products that he made, but they had to also technically refer to him as unclean. And so how did Peter manage all of this? He said, look, the good news is for all the people. And up to that point, Peter was thinking all the people who are Jews, whether they're clean or unclean. Why, he even went so far as being able to represent himself to people who were Samaritan. And Samaritans were sort of Jewish half-brothers to the pure-bred Jews of Judea. But was he ready to find out that even Gentiles, even Romans, could receive the good news of Jesus Christ and even Romans could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, this passage is his reply to his witness of that fact. Because if we read just a little further in the passage I read, starting at 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had been with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stick around for a while. So... This is the gist of what we have heard, that Jesus meant for the word to be proclaimed in Jerusalem, meaning among the Jews, because you were as Jewish as it gets if you lived in Jerusalem on purpose because you wanted to be near to the heart of Judaism. Remember that first passage, the first story we did where we were talking about how, how uh, well, last week we were talking about the uh, uh, Hellenist Jews, the ones who spoke Greek, they came there to be near to the heart of Judaism, and yet they still felt somewhat separated just because of the fact that they didn't have uh, the language of the Jews, right? So now Peter has had his mind blown again. You know, I mean, this is what it means to be Peter, by the way. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I can really identify with Peter, and that's probably why he's in Scripture. You know, that's probably one of the main reasons we get so many stories about Peter, because we can all relate to him on some level, you know. And if I could describe Peter in, in a simple modern phrase, it would be, here's the guy whose, whose skull is cracked open all the time because he's having his mind blown every other day, right? He's just completely, remember that commercial where, you know, the people had their head, their minds were blown and there'd be a big puff of purple smoke, right? You know, that, that's Peter, like every day. And so Peter's expanding his vision along with Jesus' command to take the good news to Jerusalem and Judea and now to Samaria. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. 
Jerusalem, we understand. Judea, we kind of understand. It's like he left the state capital and now he's working his way out into the countryside. He's even taken the gospel to a heathen land like Jasper, right? You know, he's, he's coming all the way out to the countryside. He's gone to Joppa where the tanning industry is. And he's preaching to the tanning industry to the people who are ritually unclean because they have to do the dirty work that really righteous Jews would never do even though they need leather for their house and their books and their other products and so forth. So he's stretched his window open wider all the time and then the Holy Spirit sends some guy from Rome a message that he needs to talk to this Peter, one of the apostles and this Roman authority says, okay, I'm going to send messengers from my household down to Joppa where I hear this guy's hanging out and I'm going to tell him I'd like him to come visit me. So Peter, imagine Peter, he's had his mind blown and, you know, he's sewed his head back up again. He thinks he's finally got it. And then, you know, along comes the messengers from Cornelius, a Roman saying, I want to know more about Jesus. And then poor old Peter, here he goes again. So he prayed about it, prayed about it, went into a deep sleep, and then he has a dream, and the dream tells him, you know what, it's for everybody, Peter. It's for everybody. Go. Goes to Cornelius' house, and this Gentile, even a Roman, says, I'm ready to hear about this Jesus. I'm ready to receive this Jesus. And then Peter declares, holy smokes, this is for everybody. It really is. God doesn't show any partiality. So what he's saying, you know, have you ever thought about that? You know, there's a lot of things that people say that they never say, right? There's a lot of things that come out of our mouths that say more about what we're thinking than we realize, right? So what's Peter saying in this particular case? He's saying, my mind was blown today because I thought that I thought that Jesus' message was just for Jews. I thought it was just for Jews. And I've been cool with going to see unclean Jews because they're still Jews. I've been okay with going to see Samaritans because they're kind of Jews. And they need to find their way home again. I saw the way that Jesus preached in Samaria and how all those people received him. So I, I'm all right with that even. But it never occurred to him. That's what he's saying in this declaration. I had no idea Jesus intended for this to even change the lives of non-Jews. Aren't you glad he figured that out? You know, because we wouldn't have any reason to be here if he hadn't figured that out, right? And so Jesus is clearly making... Peter, understand that this is a message for all who will receive it. Let's talk about Samaria for a minute, because this is the real gist of what I want to share with you today. When Jesus says to them to take the good news from Jerusalem and then to Judea and then to Samaria, his Jewish hearers had a particular vision in their mind when they heard this. They had a particular understanding so let me give you a little background so that you can see through their eyes for a minute. To a Jew, this is what it meant. Back in the days, right about the time the people came out of the wilderness, we're never going to get rid of this wilderness narrative. We're going to keep going with this as long as the plague persists, right? You know, So they're coming out of the wilderness, and they're going to take the promised land. And eventually they do take control of the promised land. But some of the people of the 
family of God that we call the Israelites wanted to stay uh, east of the Jordan River. They wanted to stay in the wilderness, basically. And some of the people were forced to stay east of the Jordan in the wilderness. So they divvied up the land of promise and some of the land on the east side of the Jordan to the tribes of Israel that were based in the names of the 12 sons of Jacob or Israel, okay? Because remember his name was Jacob and then he got renamed Israel. So the 12 tribes of Israel are the 12 sons of Jacob. But one of his sons, you might recall, was Joseph, who was sold into slavery into Egypt and rose to great authority in Egypt, and he had an Egyptian wife. But he never lost his faith. He was, you know, as a, in fact, Joseph is one of the clearest types of Jesus you'll ever see in the Old Testament. So Joseph's a very honorable guy, and the fact that he's married to a non-Jewish, non-Israel wife is very telling. Keep that in mind. In other words, Gentile. Okay? So his Egyptian wife and he have two children, and those two children have sons and daughters of their own, and they're called the half-tribes. And so you have the 12 sons plus two half-tribes. And the half-tribes get their land east of the Jordan, and it's an area called Samaria, okay? Now roll the clock forward to about 500 BC, and the great nation of Israel has been, it's been in the midst of a civil war, the north and the south, and Judea is the stronger of the two, and it's where Jerusalem is, and then there's Israel, the northern kingdom, and eventually, because of their civil war and because of their declining faith in God and their declining disciplines, they become vulnerable to the invasion of enemy empires from the north in Asia. And one of those empires completely consumes the northern kingdom. And what those empires routinely did was they would take the very best of the people, the, the smart ones, the, the educated ones, the young and strong, and they would take them back to the homeland and basically reprogram them to be whatever. You might have heard of a guy named Daniel, and he had three friends who got put into a fiery furnace. Remember that story? They were the kind of people that the empire took back to the homeland to retrain them and turn them into extensions of the empire in the new land, okay? Well, so what happens to the northern kingdom of Israel is, is that it's so effectively assimilated that it sort of disintegrates, and it, it ceases to exist as an identity of the ten tribes or sons of Israel. You may have heard of the lost tribes of Israel. This is what this means. Meanwhile, there are two tribes in the southern kingdom that have managed to stick it out, keep their identity, hold fast for a longer period of time, and they've got Jerusalem, so they feel a special particular uh, a blessing from God for whatever reason, but eventually their depravity leads to their overthrow, and they eventually get taken over by Babylon, a northern empire, and assimilation again is attempted only 
they have done a little better job. They got guys like Daniel who say, I'm not giving up my faith just because you moved me to your capital city. I will one day see my people go back to where they came from. So by the time we get to the time of Jesus, Judah, the two tribes from the southern kingdom, had managed to preserve the identity of Israel. They've managed to keep the law alive. They created what we now call synagogues, which was a way for people to meet where there wasn't a temple. They kept their Judaism going. They kept the faith in a way that, because of effective assimilation, the other 10 tribes did not succeed yet. For this reason, descendants of those northern tribes were called Samaritans. People who were somewhat Jewish, but whose Judaism had been watered down through intermarriage and intermingling of cultures. Now you think, okay, what's this history lesson all about? Now imagine Jesus has just said to righteous Jews from Jerusalem, I want you to take this message to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to Samaria. Do you see what he's telling them to do? He's telling them to take this message to people that they instinctively despise. People that they have always looked down on. In fact, for generations they've been taught to think less of these people. This is why when Jesus said there was a good Samaritan and everybody went, seriously? And then Jesus proceeds to explain to them in such vivid colorful storytelling how the Samaritan was in fact the only one who did the good thing even though the righteous Jews resisted the opportunity to do a good thing. This is why when Jesus goes to a well in Samaria and he offers redemption to a woman of Samaria who's been married five times and she's living with the guy she's with now. This is why it is so controversial and upsetting. This is why Jesus said, take the message to Samaria before you take it to the world. Because until you can go to your Samaria, to that place you don't want to go, to the people that you resist having anything to do with, you're not ready to take it to the world. That's the point. Look at Peter. He's had his envelope stretched more than he ever thought possible. He was okay with Samaritans. He learned that lesson from Jesus directly back in the day. But now he's going to Gentiles, to Romans. Can you imagine being a country boy from Galilee, a good Jew, having your whole life overthrown by the Holy Spirit and the, and the life of Jesus, and you're following this calling, and, and you're constantly having your faith tested, you're constantly having your sense of safety and security put to the test, and, and, and the one common denominator is, is our country is overwhelmed right now by foreigners who determined to destroy our culture and remove our ways from the world. Imagine Peter being told that he must give that good news to them and that when he does, 
many of them will receive the same Holy Spirit they received at Pentecost, and many of them will join him in the mission of transforming the world through Jesus' discipleship. Do you see what happened there? Samaria wasn't so much of a problem for Peter, but the concept of taking the world to a place you don't want to go was, and it is for us. So when Jesus says, I want you to take this message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world, you have to translate it into your own life. And I want you to think for a minute about a phrase. I want you to insert your name here. And I want you to hear Jesus saying to you, to you by name, I want you to take this message to your home. I want you to take this message to your workplace, to your clubs, even to your church. I want you to take this message to your neighborhood, to your community. And then I want you to take this place wherever I lead you in your day-to-day travels so that if you find yourself visiting Aunt Millie over in Princeton, the message goes with you. But then he says to you, after that, I want you to take it to a place you really would rather not go. I want you to take it to people you'd really rather not talk to. And oh, by the way, Jesus doesn't need your help. You know, let's keep that in mind right now. I wish I had a dime for every time I've heard good Christian people say, I feel like the reason that person's going to hell is because I didn't tell them about Jesus when I had the chance. Don't think so highly of yourself. God is bigger than everything on earth. And it doesn't depend on you. So why is he telling you that it's so important for you to go share the gospel? Because of what it does in you. Because of how it changes you. The reason you have to go to Samaria is not because Samaria needs you or nobody's ever going to tell them about Jesus. It's not that at all. The reason you need to go to Samaria is because of how it changes you. Because of what it does to make your discipleship a richer discipleship, what it does to create a more bonded, intimate relationship between you and your Lord, which is what this whole thing is about. This whole entire book is about a God who created you for an intimate relationship with this God through his son. This whole book is about that, and what he wants you to do is take all the necessary steps in order to have that kind of intimacy, and you cannot do that without going to places and people you don't want anything to do with. It's a fact. Republicans are going to have to tell Democrats about Jesus. Conservatives are going to have to tell liberals about Jesus, and I can reverse that, okay? Don't, Don't read anything into what I just said. Liberals have to tell Republican conservatives about Jesus. You have to go where you don't want to go. You you have to tell it. And I want to ask you a question as I wrap this up. I want to ask you a question. What if Jesus is asking you to talk about your faith with people that you just don't think want to hear it? 
You know, I know what some of you might be thinking right now because I've thought it myself. I remember when I was 20 or so, I said to myself, Lord, I feel this call on me. I felt, I felt God's calling on me like intensely since I was probably, well, I'd say age of maturity, you know, basically since around the time I was 12 or 13, I was feeling God's call on me, really even before that. But, but I mean, it's like God was pulling me towards something and I could not resist that pull. But I would say things like, God, I'll do whatever you want. Just don't make me a missionary to Botswana somewhere. I don't want to go live in the jungle and, and preach to the pygmies or something. Okay. And I'm saying that tongue in cheek because I don't want to sound racist or anything. I'm just saying I pictured, I pictured something out of one of those 1930s Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan movies, right? Because I grew up watching those on Saturday afternoons and when it was raining or something and I couldn't go outside. And, and I, th I kept thinking, there's no way I want to go do that. Don't call me to that. You know, God didn't call me to that. I can look back now and I can see where he took me to all kinds of places I didn't particularly want to go put me in the midst of people that I was uncomfortable with and who were uncomfortable with me, and I grew through it. I often reflect on my ministry career of almost 25 years now, and I think about how there have been times when I left the church after years of service and felt like I had accomplished nothing. And then I would be reminded in the spirit that it wasn't really about me accomplishing anything anyway. The real question is, is Dan, what did I accomplish in you. It is a constant reminder to me that as a pastor, my role is still primarily to be a Christian follower of Jesus Christ who just happens to be a pastor of a church. And in that respect, we are all the same. I just happen to be your teacher this morning. But as you listen to your call, you must realize that there's places Jesus wants you to go. There are people that he wants you to share your faith with that you'd rather not. And like Peter, you gotta be willing to have your mind blown. All because this is how he grows the intimacy between you and himself. And that is what he craves more than anything from you. And there's no greater intimacy you can know than to put your entire trust in another in the midst of something scary and difficult. Boy, can we relate to that these days, right? Where does Jesus want you to take this message? Don't think too hard about it. It's probably right on the tip of your tongue now. There's somebody you've wanted to share your faith with. You maybe even felt compelled to share your faith, and all you kept thinking was, is, I've heard the jokes that person tells in the break room. I've seen what they do in their spare time. I've listened to how they talk about those right-wing nuts that are out there beating their Bibles and complaining about everything. And, and I've seen them, you know, and, and you look at that guy and you say, there's no way he wants to hear what I have to say. There's no way she wants to know my Jesus. Would that not be a Samaria for you? Is that not a Samaria for all of us? Let us pray. I thank you, God, for your word, and I pray that you burn it upon our hearts, change our nature, so that we are entirely devoted to you, that this intimacy would change not only the world that you've infected with our presence, but that it would change us, so that we might love you more and depend on you more. And this I pray for your namesake. Amen.